Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Dorian, my co-host. Tom, you doing okay? Man, I am great. I'm, I'm so great that I get to sit here with you. Uh, well, not just me. We have another wonderful guest today. We've got a Franciscan Friar of the Renewal joining us. I see us. that. Yeah, well, this is, this is Father Augustino. How are you all doing? Father great. Augustino, welcome to the luxurious corner booth. Thank you very much. I think what we're going to talk about today is an issue that I think a lot of people encounter. Either they have personally encountered it, or they know people, especially in their family, who might have even left their church over, over these issues. But this whole idea of bad things happening to good people, you think that if you're a good person, that good things happen to you, that God would protect you, wouldn't let anything bad happen to you. Uh, however, bad things do happen to good people, and sometimes this actually leads to someone leaving the church. Sure. Do you, ex- do you experience that in your ministry a lot? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, this whole question is perhaps one of the most important questions that people in their lives have to have some form of an answer. Every major religion has to try to answer this in some way or another. And what, what we find is that when people can't find an answer, it often leads to things like atheism. If you, if you will, like atheism, the reason for atheism is because bad things happen to good people. And people can't ca- reconcile the evil. They don't know why evil would exist if there was an all-good God. Exactly. If there's an all-good God, how come there's evil? So there must be some sort of evil. So who created the evil? So he's not all good. And so like this notion of God begins to, to morph and change into different things. And it's a very important question to tackle. And we should not be afraid of it. In fact, we should try to have not only a couple good answers for ourselves, but I've seen people's lives change just with a, with a very simple answer of what happens when people let us down. What do we do? Why is that? And some practical things that we can do in our lives so that we'll have, a, we'll have a response. Well, before we get into all the answers, before we get to the response, let's talk a little bit about what evil are we talking about? A lot of people think, well, nothing really bad has happened to me. Uh, I didn't get cancer, or I didn't lose a limb, or I didn't, you know, the, and they'll think that these are the only catastrophic things, but there's lots of problems out there they might experience. In the news, we've had lots of discussion about the, the, the all the crises that might be rocking the church, that there's news of uh, sexual abuse or people putting their trust in a church that maybe they feel like they can't trust anymore. And so there's a lot of things that are subtle and some things that are really big and, and overwhelming. What kinds of evil are we experiencing in our day-to-day lives? Well, it's basically two, um, two types of evil. There's the moral evil, the stuff that we do, uh, sin, when someone hurts somebody else, when someone lets someone else down, uh, when someone's greedy and someone else um, suffers because of that. And then there's the natural evil, when a hurricane comes and hits, a tornado uh, rips through your town. Um, You know, these these are things that happen and happen a lot, making people say, yo, what is going on? I find, especially with today's generation, a lot of people tend to, instead of even answering the question, just disengage. Just right. like, you know what, let me just step back because uh, just, this is messed up. Well, and where do they think the fault lies? Do they think the fault lies? Let's say if, if we're talking about 
all the stuff that's going on in the church right now that the Holy Father is having to contend with and that all of the body of Christ is having to, to contend with. When, when someone sees a terrible abuse happen or hears about it or even the allegation, people will step back and disengage and say, I don't want any part of that. I don't want a part of the whole structure anymore. They'll think that the whole structure is diseased or uh, is evil in some in some way. That's that's usually what we tend to say. We we want to place our blame on someone or something, and some people place the blame on God. Some people blame God and begin to even hate God, and you know just leave all belief and blame that as part of the problem. This is kind of what they call in Europe as post-Christian society, where you know what this whole Christianity thing. It's really been part of the problem. Uh, what we need to do is we need to take this out so that we can be together, but. The problem with that is, is like if you go over to Europe and you, you, you hear some of their problems, I mean, not just there. It's, it's in a lot of places. It hasn't really solved anything. It hasn't made the world more human, if you will. It hasn't solved the problems. In fact, in many ways, it's compounded them. For example, I'm willing to argue that in today's society, we know more about what it means to be free and that we've never been more convinced as an entire society that slavery is wrong. But yet, new forms of slavery are kind of emerging. I mean, not just addictions to drugs and alcohol or pornography or, or, or these other things, but like actual slavery, yeah. human trafficking. This is like, whoa, are we, are we better off as a society without God? In fact, as Dostoevsky said, remove God and then anything is allowed. Which should scare us. Right. And, uh, and this is kind of what is going on. Anything is allowed. You take God, anything is allowed. And be careful because if we don't think it, it can happen, it will if good people don't stand up. Now, there are a lot of people that blame the, the structure or the organization. For instance, in the church's situation, you'll have a lot of young people who will say things like, well, I'm not particularly religious, but I'm very spiritual. And so they have this distrust for any kind of institution like the Catholic Church. Do you experience that as well? Sure. And um, that tends to come out from kind of like what, what the culture is today. It's very highly individualistic. And this postmodern culture kind of empowers, if you will, the person with truth. It's my truth. And you might have another truth, and that's okay. We can both have differing truths, and we can agree to get along. Well... I mean, maybe that's okay with baseball teams, but uh, when, when we get to like the, the, the very important things, you know, that, that kind of doesn't cut it. And people are operating with this is like, you know, like, well, this is okay for me, but we're missing the whole communal aspect of what it means to be human. We live in a society. There is some truth that our personal assent to something is very important, but what we assent to needs to be in line with what is good, true, right. and beautiful. Um, and this is sometimes where we have the disconnect. But it's also the same way that we can connect because these are things that resonate inside of every human being. Not to get too philosophical on this, <laughs> um, but, uh, but this is kind of like what we're, what we're facing. And I think what we need to do is just go there. Let's touch that wound. Let's talk about their suffering because suffering is a universal experience. Let me talk about your pain. What, what happened? Oh, so-and-so, this, so-and-so, that, this, 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 and that. Okay, all right. And what we, what we do is we acknowledge what is, what is definitely wrong. Someone was hurt somewhere in their family. No, that's not right. But at the same time, say what was wrong, call it 
for what it is and then bring them to the truth. This is what John Paul II did marvelously. Basically, what he always did whenever he went to a society, I remember I, I read an address when he went down to southern Italy where uh, there's still a lot of problems with the mafia. And he said, this is not right. He, he, he said why it wasn't right. And then he said what Jesus said. And then he gave us ways to live that. So he, he gave us what we experience. He gave us what Jesus said. And then he gave us how we can do that. And I think this is what I've tried many, many times with people. And it works because we do want words of life. We know intrinsically that this world here, there's something more to my existence. Well, something bigger than themselves. Exactly. And a lot of people don't want to have something bigger or their mind gets in the way and they start defining who God is. In other words, we start creating God in our likeness, right? We start putting... Uh, you know, a little box around God and saying, well, as long as it's this kind of God. And that's where you get into what our Holy Father talks about is one of the greatest trials and, and challenges we're going to have as a church going forward is moral relativism. Mm -hmm. This idea that there is no real ultimate truth. It's going to show its true colors because it can only take you so far. This moral relativism, what it ends up being, as our Pope said, it becomes a tyranny of relativism and it becomes a tyranny of desire. We, in essence, will will become kind of like, it's a strong word, but kind of like a slave of our own whims. Right. Because um, where is it going to end? Where is it going to take us? And this whole problem of evil is able to, to kind of help us go deeper, go deeper. A lot of times our difficulties, our disillusionment, it's like a paradigm shift. It makes us question the whole thing. Now, there's a difference between questioning and doubting the whole thing, as Cardinal Newman pointed out. Uh, a hundred questions do not equal a single doubt. A doubt, as you know, is something that's possibly sinful. If you doubt God, you're saying, you know what, forget this. But when you question, that's how you come to a deeper understanding. So if I'm being disillusioned by something that's going on in politics, in the church, in the world, okay, let's ask the question. Not be afraid to ask the question. What is going on? It says in uh, Salvifici Dolores, the, the, the meaning of Christian suffering, written by John Paul II, in paragraph 10, God even wants us to ask the question. Ask him, what, what, what's going on here, Lord? But with faith, not looking into it like, you know, trying to find a weakness in the structure and then denying the whole things like, ha ha. You see, I told you, all this thing is bogus. Because because this happened, the whole thing is, is messed up. And no, that's not the truth. I was listening to a talk by Fulton Sheen. And, uh, and he was saying that during the Protestant Reformation, what a lot of the Protestant reformers were trying to do, their intention was really good. Yes, the church needed reform. It needed reform. But Archbishop Fulton Sheen pointed out it needed reform in the way people acted, not in the way the church thought. That was good. But what they ended up doing is changing the way the church thought. They said, you know what? This whole thing is messed up. We need to just you know, scrap the whole thing. And this is the church that our Lord Jesus Christ established on Peter. You know, Peter, you are a rock. You don't just throw that away. There's something good about what the Lord established. But now what we need to do, and this is something that I challenge a lot of youth to do, is like, okay, you see what's going on. You see that there's a problem. First of all, pray. Pray. Second of all, maybe this is happening so that you can be part of the answer. 
a lot of times people deal with like sexual abuse and uh, you have to acknowledge that you know this is a tremendous thing that just doesn't go away but I've seen a lot of people dedicate themselves to helping other uh, people who have been affected by this horrible thing they are dedicating their lives now to helping where they were hurt sometime in the past and this is what we call redemptive you're taking something that was bad and you're turning it around which is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ did with the cross the cross back in the day it was the sign of a curse and he took that sign of a curse and he just flipped the lid on it and he made it now the sign of our salvation and this is kind of like the mold the way that he is asking us to do it says in Colossians 124 I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ through my own sufferings by uniting my sufferings to the cross I me personally father Augustino lowly guy in a, in a, in a monk suit sitting here in front of you in this cafe can make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ whoa whoa this is something tremendous here mm -hmm. so when people disillusion us the challenge for all Christians is to take that to the cross and let the Lord turn it into a blessing very good. All right, that's wonderful. We have so much more to talk about, and we're going to do that when we come back. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. I also want to remind you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. In the year 203 AD, a young Christian woman was martyred for her belief in Jesus Christ. Her name was Perpetua. She, along with several members of her household, converted from the pagan religion of her father to Christianity. St. Perpetua was married and had a young son, and in most respects had a normal life in the Roman city of Carthage. While imprisoned, St. Perpetua wrote a first-hand account of her suffering. It is a testament to the suffering the early Christians had to endure to live their Catholic faith. During the reign of Emperor Septimus Severus, all subjects of the Roman Empire were strictly forbidden from becoming Christians or Jews. This law was mainly aimed at keeping more Roman citizens from converting. Under this decree, Perpetua and her companions were arrested and thrown into jail. As a new mother, St. Perpetua was separated from her baby, which caused her extreme suffering, she wrote. Such anxieties I suffered for many days, but I obtained leave for my baby to remain in the prison with me, and, being relieved of my trouble and anxiety for him, I at once recovered my health, and my prison suddenly became a palace to me, and I would rather have been there than anywhere else. St. Perpetua's father begged her to forsake her Christian beliefs for the sake of her family's honor. According to St. Perpetua, her father said, Daughter, pity my white hairs. Pity your father if I am worthy to be called father by you. If I have brought you up to this, your prime of life. If I have preferred you to your brothers. Make me not a reproach to men. Look on your mother and on your mother's sister. Look upon your son who cannot live after you are gone. Lay aside your pride. 
do not ruin us all, for none of us will ever speak freely again if anything happens to you. Despite her father's objections, St. Perpetua held fast to Christ. Even through the intense family pressures and the terrible suffering she had to endure, about her father she wrote, I comforted him, saying, It shall happen as God shall choose, for assuredly we lie not in our own power, but in the power of God. After many visions of heaven, the devil, and her final end, Perpetua was taken to the amphitheater to be martyred. For her love for her son, she is the patron of expectant mothers. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe, sitting in the luxurious, the not-too-luxurious corner booth. <laughs> and we're sitting here with uh, Tom Doran, my co-host, and Father Augustino, one of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Father, we were just talking about suffering. And, Tom, you had a great, uh, a great question. You were just talking about, Father, how you should pray, first of all, and then also keep your focus where it needs to be, which is on Christ. That is very difficult for people to do sometimes. I have a good friend who's dealing with some issues relative to the church, and he just cannot... He, he just, I don't know if he's choosing not to focus where it needs to be focused on Christ or if he's uh, just just having a tough time with it. What, what would you say about that? Well, I think it's um, it hurts when people who are supposed to lift us up let us down. And I think half of this is walking with people in, in, a, rela- in a Christ-centered relationship um, until this, this visceral hurt begins to, to wane if um if if i have a surgery right and uh, on my leg and uh my leg is all swollen up you know and you want me to kind of like walk and run after you like wait hold on <laughs> we got a problem here mm-hmm. you know my leg is, is is in pieces and so you need to address um what's what's going on uh even just even just emotionally maybe sometimes uh some people dealt with some other sort of uh great disillusionment in their lives and this is bringing it all up to the surface mm-hmm. so there has to be a sensitivity there um and you have to sometimes proceed with with great delicacy uh, problem with with me you know, I'm, I'm, I'm such a you know uh sometimes i'm such a bulldog you know I, i'm a man you know i just kind of like okay well you know they say men fix things you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> men want to fix things and uh and, and women just want to understand things you know that's what they say um and uh to 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 listen to them to just hear them out. Uh, sometimes you're doing more for the church by just letting them. You don't have to have the perfect thing to say, um, but you hear them out. And if they see you continue to believe, even though sometimes it's very hard, that gives them strength. Um, that Christ-centered relationship during moments of difficulty um, mean more to people than, 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 than we can imagine. I don't know how many people have told me. Um, <laughs> the first, the first example that comes to mind. I live in the Bronx, okay. You know, right. So <laughs> this is this is a Bronx experience. I was uh, with a young lady. Um, she was at World Youth Day, and I ran into her, and she was with a group that I knew, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And and she told me, I, I'm sure this happens other places, but she said, "Hey, you were there when I was th- that night that I got in a fight and they beat me up. You were there for me." And she remembered that. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I almost took you to the hospital. I remember that. We were there in a moment of tremendous pain. 
a tremendous vulnerability, we were there. And that, this is kind of like, you know, bringing the gospel in a personal way to every human heart in these times of tremendous trial. Um, they can be times of tremendous opportunity. You know, and sometimes there are people who tell me, and even I experience this, when you're at a funeral and you don't know what to say to the bereaved, sometimes you just, I don't know what to say. And sometimes just there's wisdom in the idea that you're just there, Mm -hmm. that you're just present. And so in that way, you're bringing Christ into that moment. And that's a, uh, Christ can use you as a healer. Obviously, with his authority and his power, he's doing the healing. But really, just you being there, uh, flesh and blood, to console that person. You don't have to have this great, uh, well, you know, the fathers of the church have always said, you don't have to have some great prayer on hand. You can just say, you know what, I'm here. I don't know what to say right now. I don't know what you're feeling, but I know you're feeling something, and I'm just here with you. Exactly. St. Francis, they often say that, you know, he he preached the gospel without using words. Right. Uh, He would just, uh, one day he told this brother, come on, we're going to go preaching. And the brother said, okay. And so they went to this town, and all they did was they just walked through the town. And the brother said, weren't we going to, you know, evangelize and witness to the gospel? And um, St. Francis said, we just did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes with our lives. Um, I know people uh, who are bringing people to Christ because they've endured tremendous tragedy. And it hasn't taken away their faith. In fact, it's strengthened their faith. And other people are strengthened because they see what's going on and they say, wow, I don't know how you did it. And they say, oh, it's, it's my faith in God. It's, it's my relationship with the church. And, and they say, you helping me believe. Well, what do you say to those folks, though, who might, as you were talking about earlier about suffering, that some people just disengage? And essentially what they're doing is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, they're getting rid of their issue, whatever their issue is. But then they're getting rid of the thing that can bring them the most consolation, and that is the, the, the church that Christ built on the Rock of Peter. We're given this great gift with, with all these graces that come pouring out of the church in the form of the sacraments. And we're just turning our backs on that sometimes, and so it makes it even tougher for us. So how do you deal with people in that way when they've turned their back on the church? Well, I can answer that question in two ways. One, what I try to help people to do, and two, what helps me. What I try to help people to do is I listen to where they're at, and I try to just help them make the next best step. If someone is just is not in a place to hear about God because they may be just so angry... I, I just go to where they're at, and I just help them to make the next best step. Maybe all they need is a friend. Sometimes people come with tremendous tragedies, and you're, you can be overwhelmed. Right. What's the next best step? Is the next best step just you listening to them, uh, them just maybe saying one prayer, maybe committing to to live? I mean... <laughs> You'd be surprised. Right. I know. I believe it. I believe it. There was a guy that came to our friary, and he basically, he told me, he says, I've had enough. I'm going to end it all. And I listened to him, and I spoke to him, and I brought out, little by little, his humanity. He had forgotten that he was a human, and he felt like a monster. And when he began to see his human side again, he began to act a little bit more and more like a human. But he needed a human hand to hold him and say, come on, I'm going to take this step with you. So that's kind of what I try to help people to do. What I try to do, I'm a little bit of a history buff. I, I try to keep things in perspective. When things get really tough, I think, okay, all right. There was a time in the church where things were a lot crazier. At my ordination mass, the cardinal, he read 
the letter when they started the Archdiocese of New York. And the Pope at the time, when he founded the Diocese of New York, was a captive of Napoleon in like this prison cell someplace in France. And I, I was like, whoa, if I think things are crazy now, what must the, the, the church have thought at the time? The, I mean, the Pope was captive right. of, this, of this tyrant. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, people must have been losing faith thinking, oh, what are we going to do? And it kind of put things in perspective a little bit. You know what? The Lord is here. He said, I will be with you until the end of the ages. And it, and it kind of like it soothed my heart. Sometimes when we're going through things, it's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. But when we kind of just take a deep breath and say, the Lord is with me, I believe. He was with me yesterday, he is with me today, and he will be with me tomorrow. Let's just focus on being faithful and keep on going. That's kind of what I try to do. Now, you know, a lot of times people will realize, or I've realized that if you look back, you know, our, our hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and see so many things. And I realize the wisdom that, that St. Peter talks about in the scriptures when he talks about fire-tried gold, when he talks about mm. this idea that our suffering really perfects us. And it's really actually good for us. It's, now, it's hard to see when you're suffering, when that pain is, is so real and that's all you're focused on. But really, when we look back at our suffering, we're better for it. That doesn't mean we want to seek out suffering, but it does mean that we realize that suffering has a real sense of purpose, especially when we unite it with that suffering of Christ. St. Therese of Lisieux said, everything is grace. And when I first read that, I was like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. What do you mean everything is grace, you know? Some of those saints were kind of wacky. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what, what could you have meant? But, I, but that saying has come to me a lot of times when people are going through very difficult times. That can also become something that is grace-filled. See, this is the power of the cross. Jesus came, and the, the, the most horrendous thing that was done in the history of the world was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and that became the sign of our salvation. And now when we take our sufferings, our crosses, if you will, and give them to Christ, the same thing happens, and it becomes grace-filled. That's beautiful. Father Augustino, thank you so much for, for sharing with us and helping us to give some good perspective, good Christian understanding of suffering and then how we deal with it when we realize that bad things happen to good people. We hope that you'll come and visit us again here in the cafe. I would love to. Well, let's uh, close in prayer. We're going to close in prayer with a prayer that was written around 350 A.D. by St. Basil. And it's amazing how these prayers from of old apply to today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Steer the ship of my life, Lord, to your quiet harbor, where I can be safe from the storms of sin and conflict. Show me the course I should take. Renew in me the gift of discernment so I can see the right direction in which I should go. And give me the strength and the courage to choose the right course, even when the sea is rough and the waves are high, knowing that through enduring hardship and danger in your name, we shall find comfort and peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe 
There's always room for one more at our table. 